to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Wellbeing and Resiliency in Pharmacy Practice podcast. This podcast is a forum where you can listen in as members share successful strategies on well-being and resilience in both their professional and personal lives. My name is Anna Legredop. I'm the Senior Director of Clinical Guidelines and Quality Improvement at ASHP and the Project Director for the Wellbeing Ambassador Program. I will be your host today. And with us today are Dr. Marissa Mauricio, the Clinical Wellness Pharmacist, and Dr. Scott Chelson, Manager of Pharmacy Wellness and Brand Development at Baptist Health South Florida. Thanks for joining us today. Let's start talking about today's topic, wellness as an opportunity for thriving as individuals and as a profession. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Yeah, nice to be connected with both of you. So let's get started. You have some great words of wisdom and great vision for some evidence-based approaches for implementing wellness in a healthcare system. So let's start by talking about that. Scott, do you want to go first? Sure, yes. And as listeners may know a little bit about us from our past or those that don't, uh, we do work in a health system. And when it comes to health systems, especially, evidence is key. You will constantly hear about those words being used. And with wellness, there's a lot of anecdotal modalities and services out there. And so it's even more important to provide evidence, but also define what wellness is. And I've proposed a definition in wellness in pharmacy. And I like, if you don't mind, uh, be able to present that here today. Our wellness and pharmacy definition I proposed was an individual approach to the center of health and well-being with an intentional focus on prevention, treatment, and applied learning from one's history and present to optimize the future state of care and quality of life through actions taken. And I think it's important when we talk about this definition because actions are really focused on that real patient-centric model. Marissa, you want to add to that? Yeah, I get questions all the time from pharmacists and pharmacy students about how wellness can be incorporated into pharmacy practice. And there's a lot of opportunity, especially as pharmacists being the most accessible healthcare professionals to really make a difference and be able to speak to areas of wellness when it comes to prevention and really synergizing with medications and therapy with physicians and the patient as a team in general. So there's a lot that we can really do in the role of wellness in pharmacy. Well, let's talk more about that. That's an important aspect of this that you've envisioned that you see pharmacists, the pharmacy team, um, and leveraging that team to provide this as a patient care service, but then also as a way to advance the profession. Can you speak more to that, please? Yeah. So as I mentioned, pharmacists being the most accessible healthcare professionals, we have the opportunity to really counsel our patients about lifestyle modifications. That's something that I spend a lot of time in um, at clinic or if I'm doing a telehealth visit and really talking to patients about the different things they can do outside of just their medications that can really enhance their care, like going for a walk, incorporating some type of movement, things like that, looking into specific diets that would be good to support their therapy. 
there's lots of different things we can really look into and really um, help patients achieve their goals, especially because it can be very individualized. It's not just a one size fits all type of recommendation. You really have to speak to the patient and what their needs are. Yeah, and, and to add to that, I think when we look at what's coming down the pipeline, we see now studies in journals for endocrinology and others supporting the evidence around lifestyle modifications, but even more than just that bogus word, because we hear that through school, but there's really no formal training around that. I think the big thing about this is coaching. We have to be able to understand what our patients' goals are to start with. And so when we look at things like the most popular thing on earth right now, Ozempic, we look at drugs like that, the GLPs, and we start to see that for the best outcomes, you need to incorporate aerobic training. But not just that. We know that these drugs deplete things like lean body mass, which leads to greater significant you know, side effects. And so how do we pharmacists step in that role? Well, I think it's really working in these areas that we spoke about, like endocrinology, even oncology, neurology, surgery, prenatal, preconception, postpartum, orthopedics, sports. There's so many opportunities for those pharmacists. And I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but the idea that we can support and, and provide more value than just what people know us to be as pharmacists is truly important. I think we have to think about how we could synergize those medications with wellness, not replace or prevent, but I do believe we can prevent pharmaceuticals to be used to begin with in many ways if we start early enough and we also understand where that patient is. We understand there's genetics involved. We understand people are predisposed to certain things and we can't prevent that all the time. What we can do, though, is lower those side effects and support those providers so that we create that value. Well, on top of those two points, you're both also contributing to a committee within your organization called the Wellbeing and Belonging Committee. Can you speak to the goals and the implementation of that effort? Yeah, so this committee essentially was brought together in alignment with our DE&I committee, and the purpose is really to provide an avenue for sharing, communication, and creation of like resources, programming, and other supportive functions to really develop a sense of culture and inclusion, diversity, and well-being and belonging of all the talent within the clinical pharmacy enterprise. And essentially, this is a small group. There's about five of us who are putting who are leading this effort to really provide support for our pharmacy department. And essentially what we want to do with this group is increase the knowledge and the participation of existing well-being activities that are currently offered by our health system. There's so many things going on that sometimes you don't even know what's out there. So we want to be able to increase the knowledge around these activities that are already happening and then also provide resources and activities specifically for our pharmacy community to bring more well-being and inclusion, prevent exhaustion and burnout, things like that. And then we also want to provide leadership training and resources and outlets for managing well-being and belonging within their teams. That was one of the things that we heard from our pharmacy leaders that they weren't really sure how to support in this area. So we want to be able to provide resources for them so they can help manage their teams as well. Well, and one of the things that you all talk about at ASHP and your Wellbeing Resilience Certification Program is the importance of leadership's buy-in. And I know Marissa has mentioned that multiple times. 
And I want to also note that as an institution, we have a well-being program that was launched. But sometimes we understand that it's easier to get ashore with the little boat than it is with the big ship. So what Marissa has gone ahead and done and said, hey, let's make moves now and get with those individuals that are really wanting to see this change and start to showcase what a precedence could be. Create that precedence, create that, that pilot and really start to build that morale. What we've seen from just small events uh, that Marissa has helped host are pride within our pharmacy teams and people starting to feel more comfortable with bringing things up that may be heavy on them and could make or break retention if you think about that, right? You know, a lot of times, and I know we'll get into this a little bit, is that work-life balance is how important that is. And I really think, you know, small things, small goals within your divisions is so important. But for anybody out there that hasn't taken that certification, I, I will overly tell you this is something you have to take. And I'm not just saying that because we're on this podcast, but it, it's important. But it's also important because being certified in this area or having that knowledge can help you open up dialogue with leadership in other areas that necessary, not necessarily a pharmacist would ever do. Being able to recommend things in our mental health professionals and be able to sit at a table and talk about stress reduction and sleep and nutrition and all of these things. Those are important topics, but you never hear pharmacists usually, You well, I'll say never usually talk about those things. So having this dialogue is so important and, and understanding a formality behind that is as well. But definitely leadership buy-in is key. And I hope other leaders buy into that narrative across the country. Another thing I really like about the certificate too, is it gives you that different like point of view. And you also can really connect with other people who are interested in the same area of well-being and resilience. And they can share what they're doing at their institutions, if it's like a different activity or something like that. For example, one of the things that we did at Baptist is we had an event where we kind of took everyone out of their comfort zone, went into the hallway, and I had this beach ball with five different well-being pillars on there, like rest and nutrition and different things that could kind of just open up a top a topic of their choosing where they wanted to talk about something that they like. So we would pass this beach ball around, they would catch it, and then they would share something about themselves. And it really brought out these different aspects of their coworkers that they might not have known. People talking about, you know, being a new mother and how they have struggles or how they like to incorporate movement by going for a walk during lunch. So it kind of just like opened up these different stories and insight into these people that you may not closely talk to every single day. And that's just like the joy around well-being and doing things like this, because you can really connect with those that you work closely with, who you may not know from a personal level. So we want to really incorporate more things like this, because we've got a lot of great feedback from that. We're hoping to have a big kickoff event either in July or August, and just plan a lot of really fun things like that. And Another thing to think about is these types of activities don't have to cost a lot of money. You really don't have to put a ton of investment into something like this. You can be creative and there's plenty of ways to do that. Well, first of all, thanks for the plug for the well-being ambassador effort and for the well-being and resilience certificate. That means a lot to know that it has value and that it can support. We're trying to give agency to uh, those that are completing the program so that they can feel empowered to go back to their local institutions and do things. So thanks for that. You also it's raised. Not, it's it's oh. not hard to talk about a product that works, right? right. So ideally I, it's no plug. It's, I, I just think that 
you know, we all want to talk about things that make us feel better and also give us some guidance because sometimes we feel a certain way or we think something needs to be changed, but we don't know how to have those critical conversations, especially with leadership. So having a program that sets the tone and guidance is truly important. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to let everyone know this is no plug. This is just that we understand something does work. Yeah. And, and you're so right. It, it absolutely does start with leadership and leadership buy-in, leadership support, creating cultures of well-being is really important for those big L leaders, but there are things for those little L leaders or for those followers to do as well, if they can be empowered. You raised another really good point is that, especially in health systems in which you work, there are a lot of well-being efforts being implemented, but they might be in silos in, within our profession. So medicine, nursing, pharmacy, and, and sometimes that Sometimes that might be appropriate, given that there are unique stressors within each of our professions. So looking for where the commonality and the shared opportunities are across professions is important, but then how do you tailor to the profession? And Marissa, I've seen on social media, I saw the beach ball activity that you did, and you were clearly meeting people where they were instead of having them come to you, which is probably a rate limiting step for those frontline clinicians. So it looked like it was a really meaningful experience and a, a really good example to highlight of things that you're doing. Yeah, it was fun. You know, it kind of, it's out of the norm. So people felt a little awkward at first, but once you kind of get, get them out of their shell, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, all of this is probably not without its challenges. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about those challenges and barriers that you faced and things that you've done to try to overcome them. Well, I think if we're talking about wellness, I think one of the things to discuss there is understanding that sometimes it's not always easy for us to practice what we preach. It's very hard to tell somebody working on their feet 12 hours straight to eat healthy or prepare your meals when you have a family at home. I do think another barrier that we do face is seeing the vision. Sometimes when we think about it, like provider status and all these other things that we think as a profession moving forward, we lose sight of the things that are clearly in front of us. And what I mean by that is lead generators, right? What would drive people to your pharmacy? What would help provide more opportunities? Would having a wellness consult with your patients be something that they look at as less of a pharmacy and more of a whole health, whole house health type of approach. When we think about some things like in health systems, like incident to billing and annual wellness visits and cash-based consults, like I just discussed, what is the willingness to pay? So sometimes we put our own barriers in front of us. And I think the other thing about that is finding your own work-life balance. So when we think about work-life balance itself, I think it's important for us to set healthy boundaries around us and maybe not answering emails at nine o'clock at night because someone decided that they had the time to do it. I think it's important to create the routine. So this goes hand in hand with wellness and well-being, but less well-being at the work side of things and more about the life as a whole type of thing. And so boundaries are definitely important. I know staying healthy is one of my goals. I know Marissa and others that we are around definitely keep that close to home, but creating routines, you know, and organizations, we know that creating habitual changes is not easy. So it really starts with small goals, but we do as healthcare professionals understand how important nutrition, hydration, and movement are. So I think some of those things become a barrier because we create that mental block. Whereas sometimes we got to take days to organize and put things in a box and say, hey, 
This is what we're able to do as we look at things. Now, when we go back to implementing wellness, sorry, get off topic there a little bit, but to implement wellness as a whole, we got to think about the barriers like education. And I'll let Marissa jump in here in a, in a minute, but education, we've been able, I had this vision. I said, I want to be able to create positions. Madeline and I talked my, our chief pharmacy officer, and she said, I want to create wellness, a wellness program. I said, we got to create positions, but what do we have in front of us? Well, we, education wasn't there. So we didn't have training for all of these wellness pharmacists out there. Uh, it was very random. And then, so we said, okay, well, once we do this, once we hire the chicken before the egg, we're going to have to then go back and start education. And, and we did, we created a course, the first course in the country for wellness that Marissa is now an adjunct professor for. We also had to understand that we get these questions, why a pharmacist for wellness? And that's a great question because the individuals around us, provider staff, don't know pharmacists to be in that space. And pharmacists don't know pharmacists to be in that space. So those are some of the barriers that I know that we face. But Marissa? Yeah, yeah. I would say we get the why a pharmacist question probably every single day, or at least every time we talk to someone new, just because this is such a new space to really work in. And so we're constantly having to kind of like prove ourselves or stand up for ourselves and say, you know, we're a pharmacist, this is where we can place our value. And these are the additional things that I've done, like get my wellness coaching certificate and my sports nutrition coaching certificate and all these different things to really just emphasize the value that we can bring as a pharmacist and how we can really share more than just about medications and how we can really help with therapy and the overlying issues as to why like a patient would be coming to see a doctor or a physician or anything um, to really assess what their wellness goals are. And other things that we've really dealt with in terms of, you know, getting our program off the ground would be technology and development or T&D. There are so many things that we want to do and we want to incorporate into our program that haven't been done before. And when there's something that hasn't been done before, it kind of raises so many questions and different avenues and people you need to bring in. And it just, it gets to be a lot and it can kind of slow down that progress. So you really have to stay on top of things, stay organized and really continue to drive home the value and the purpose of what we're doing. Um, Scott, maybe. Well, I, I know, I know that <laughs> yeah. um, one of the, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I know one of the things that we really need to focus on as a barrier of ours, as a profession, and I'm going to call all of you out out there is vocalizing your work. Nobody is supposed to remember what you do. And I, I posted this recently, but the, the quote that I heard not too long ago is actually from a realtor, which of all things, right? Why we listen to realtors, but my wife's one. So I always listen to her. Um, but the quote was, it's not other people's job to remember what you do. It's our job to remind them. And constantly we say, well, we did vaccines. Don't you remember? Well, we did this. Don't you remember? And no, people don't remember. They do in that micro moment when they need you, but it's our job to constantly remind them. And we have some amazing pharmacists out there doing some crazy, amazing things, and yet only their colleagues know about this. So I challenge everybody out there as part of this. I know this is not part of ASHP's official challenge, but I will say hopefully it may be post about what you're doing. Talk about what you're doing. Talk about the case study that you helped the patient out. People need to understand what we do behind the scenes. It's It, it really is a, a, an amazing working um I, I just think that we need to be more vocal. Uh, this personality of introverts and so on, it, it, put on the cape, put on the outfit, wear the uniform, you know, be, play the role in that moment. But 
be vocal about what you do. That is one of the biggest barriers we have as a profession. We always want to see change, but we're not willing to talk about why. Well, that sounds like a good call to flip the narrative from why a pharmacist to why not a pharmacist. And hopefully with some of your innovation, we could start to see that flip in the next couple of years. Let's just circle back for a little bit. You talked about that all important balance word, and we know that that's such an important piece about well-being in the workplace. We've heard the term balance. We hear the term boundaries. We hear the term integration, blend. I've heard recently everything about just trying to get through the day so that you can prioritize the things that are most important to your life to include work and family and other things. So let's, I'd love to hear a little bit more thoughts on that. Yeah, it can definitely be challenging, you know, being in this type of hybrid workforce now that I feel like almost everyone is in. And one thing that I do for myself personally is I have a designated space in my house for work. Like it's my home office area. I come here specifically knowing like I'm going to do work and I try to really maintain that sense of like, this is where I'm working. And then after work, I need to like log off and, you know, be present where I am. And that can be so hard because technology is wonderful, but you, you can really be on your phone. You can really send an email anytime, any day. And um, that's the hard thing is finding that what, when is it appropriate to really send those calls or is it really that urgent? Um, one thing that I received a great piece of advice from a coworker yesterday is when someone's asking you to set up a meeting, ask them, what's the purpose of the meeting? Is this something that maybe we can deal with through email? If it's going to take more than three, four emails, yes, let's get on a call. But then you don't want to have that email fatigue as well. So you need to really kind of find that true balance, I guess, between those two things and really identifying, you know, the intentionality of like your actions and what you're asking of your coworkers and just be mindful after hours, like you should try to be more present with your family or whatever is important to you and leave the work things for the work hours. And that can just, it can be hard. It can be really hard to get, you know, when you're very passionate about what you do and, and what's important, but you know, I think it's important to really talk to your coworkers and your leaders and making it known that you're on the same wavelength in terms of what's important to you and, and how that communication should be displayed. Marissa and our other colleague, Brandon, we stay in touch a lot. But one thing I tell them is do not answer my calls on the weekend. And it's because sometimes we get into these things that we're so excited about and we need to tell them right now, right then. And we're used to calling each other, or texting each other and, you know, just getting things done or like, you know, updating each other on successes or boundaries or whatnot. But sometimes we get, you know, we forget it's Saturday. And one of the things that that I disagree with Marissa and 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 you on, if you don't mind, and it's all out of respect, is the word balance. I really got something from the book, The One Thing. I don't know if you have read it or others out there have read it, but there's a visual in there that talks about counterbalance. And it's really, we work so hard in one direction and then we look for balance, but that balance is sitting around having TV time. And maybe that's what feels good in that moment. But what I try to do personally is if I'm working really hard this week, which if my boss is listening is every week, if I'm doing that or going really, really deep into a project, I go do two, three mile hikes 
You know, I go and make sure I do as many activities on the weekend with my family as I possibly can, because that brings me back to that core. So as much as we may call it, and I know there's synonyms, balance, counterbalance, so on. I just find it that if you're going to work as hard as we do, and we spend most of our time at work, you have to enjoy life as much as you work. And that to me is that counterbalance. So I really think it's important. But I also think another important thing is, is opening that as a leader, right? And I think Marissa and others will tell you this as, as a leader, I try to be one that opens that door for us to have those critical conversations. So they don't become these awkward hierarchy questions or, or concerns. I want an open door policy to really mean an open door policy where we could go to each other and say, hey, you know, I have this issue with what was going on, but I have a solution to how we can make this work. And I think that kind of relationship really, truly means a lot. Whereas my leadership, I feel like we have that as well. Um, and, it, and it really shows progress. We, we get things done a lot quicker than other people do versus waiting around for change to occur. We are able to nip any type of barriers in the butt. So one of you mentioned, um, just email inboxes in general. And I, one of the quotes that I heard that really helped me understand that is that your email inbox is everyone else's agenda. And so you're right, without putting some guardrails around that, some boundaries, um, it can, you can quickly become controlled by that. Especially those notifications, right? Yes, alert fatigue. That's yes. the real thing. <laughs> yes. A happy moment can become sad very quickly. Yes. <laughs> We're almost towards the end of our podcast. What are the, any final thoughts or reflections that you want to share? Marissa, do you want to go first? Yeah, I would say some things I wanted to share, because I get this question a lot from people, is really like how to get into the space. Is there any resources or things that I can take advantage of? So I know we already mentioned the ASHP Wellbeing and Resiliency Certificate. I would definitely recommend checking that out. Some other things that I've completed are the ASHP weight management certificate. That one is directly, it correlates to what I do in the clinic in terms of weight management and things like that. I thought it was fantastic. And then also, I mentioned it earlier, the NASM, the National Academy of Sports Medicine, they have a certified wellness coaching certificate. And that in itself, I thought was really, really good for the position that I'm in now. Um, in terms of just learning how to be a coach and how to approach questions. And it really closely resembles counseling in a way when you, um, you know, counsel with your patients. So I would definitely say those are some great resources to look into, as well as the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. That's also, they have a lot of great resources and they also have a free course on there for lifestyle medicine and food as medicine. And I took advantage of that. I thought it was great. I learned so many things that I can use for both my personal health and wellness, but also with my patients and giving them resources for diet and nutrition. So there's a lot of things out there. You really kind of have to do your research and find what's a accredited like organization and really see what kind of resources you're looking for, whether you're looking for more movement or nutrition or just general wellness. It's really depending on what you're looking for, but there's a lot of resources out there. Yeah, and I'll add to that real quickly is wellness is not going anywhere. And if we don't provide it, they will go somewhere else. And so I think it's important. I also think it's important that we have these tools in our tool belt because it prevents a client or patient from having to go to another provider 
when we know that all it takes is us to add these certain trainings to be able to have these critical conversations with our patients and make it more about their goals than our goals. And I think we can meet that synergy and truly provide better outcomes if we look to how we could prevent and synergize versus only treat. I would love to see and challenge organizations to restructure vision statements, mission statements to include prevention. I would love to see more of the practice what you preach approach and maybe even wellness retreat conferences instead of just clinical conferences. But I would say that I think organizations and education institutions and institutions are going to have to come together and realize wellness has to be part of our DNA as pharmacists. And we have to be better at tooting our horns because why have a horn if you can't toot it? That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Marissa and Scott. Thanks so much for joining us to discuss wellness as an opportunity for thriving, both for individuals and as a profession. If you haven't had a chance, I encourage you to visit wellbeing.ashp.org to learn more. And please be sure to join us here on this podcast at a future date. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.